Hello, hello. We are going to continue on into the first chapter of Powernomics, the National Plan to Empower Black America by Dr. Claude Anderson. And if you were with us in the introduction, you received a bit of a great deal of background, his vision, and an outline for the different chapters. So now as we go into part one, it is entitled, How Winners and Losers Are Predetermined. Chapter one opens up with the title, Racism, Monopolies, and Inappropriate Behavior. Quick quote, Alice, which road do I take? Cheshire Cat, where do you want to go? Alice, I don't know. Cheshire Cat, then it doesn't matter which road you take. That was by Lewis Carroll of Alice in Wonderland. Hmm. The challenges we face. As the Cheshire Cat said to Alice, who was lost in a Wonderland fantasy. It doesn't matter which road you take if you don't know where you are going. It is time for black Americans to take a good hard look at where they have come from and where they are going. As they move forward or standing still, what really are they doing? After centuries of participating in protests, marches, race riots, and demonstrations, and pushing for integration and passage of all an endless number of civil rights laws, black Americans are increasingly sensing that something is wrong. They question whether or not they are on the right road. A comparative analysis of our socioeconomic conditions shows that black Americans have entered the new millennium much the same way they entered the previous four centuries, as impoverished, powerless, and neglected people. Since they have yet to be any programs and public policies specifically offered to eliminate the plight of the black masses, their future like their past looks bleak. Amidst the rising tide of white conservatism, the wealth and income gaps between majority white society and blacks are widening. Nearly a half a century after the Supreme Court ordered racial desegregation, black Americans still bear six to eight times their proportional share of poverty broken homes, homelessness, criminal incarceration, unemployment, and other social pathologies. Dissegregation should have been about redistribution, wealth, power, and resources, not social integration. Social integration has only addressed the symptoms of our dilemma rather than the causes. As indicated in the picture below, 
it is extremely difficult for black people to progress when the same hands that held the whip still hold almost all the wealth and power. So there is a picture here. The first picture has the White House with a door and then there's an arm there and in the arm it's titled Slave Owner and there's a whip in the hand. The second picture says White House with R.D. Roosevelt and there is a hand with an arm and on the arm is written maldistributed wealth with a fist balled as if it were hitting just like the first picture with the whip was. During centuries of black enslavement and Jim Crow semi-slavery, the majority society secured and retained its inherited advantages. While a black minority inherited a legacy of disadvantages in this race-based society, Whites acquired ownership and control of nearly everything of value as well as a system of keeping blacks non-competitive and powerless. The sheer existence and size of a growing black underclass is prima facie evidence of institutionalized racism that manipulates symbols, resources, and power to advantage whites over blacks. The reality of black America's dilemma is that they are predestined to become a permanent underclass if they do not break free of the numerous disadvantages they have inherited. Blacks should get off the social road to nowhere. There are no yellow brick roads to the future, nor will blacks simply stumble onto wealth and power in a competitive society. To find a better road requires blacks to unlearn old behavior models, strategies, and learned helplessness in race matters. Blacks must understand the nature of the competitive race and make a radical metamorphosis. They must decide where they want to go, get out front of their competitors, and work hard to get there first. If blacks compete, they can expect to succeed and survive in the race for wealth and power. This next section is entitled Race, Racism, and Wealth. Although slavery and Jim Crow semi-slavery ended generations ago, their legacies live on in various forms of structural racism. Contrary to popular notions about the concept of race, it is more than a biological grouping. Race is about financial, political, and social currencies. It is a form of stored wealth and power. Whiteness has major has minority, excuse me, has monetary value. Knowing the origin and nature of the value of race is essential to any analysis of Black America's dilemma. It is important that blacks know why the race problem refuses to die and how it is used to keep them a non-competitive and powerless group. The word 
quote-unquote race first appeared with the emergence of the slave practice in the 16th century. Records indicate the word race was selected because the various European slave trading nations were in a constant comp competing to profit from the mineral and human wealth of Africa. They were in a contest. The prize for winning the race was the power to develop Western civilization using the wealth extracted out of Africa. Black people were non-competitors in the race. They were the prizes. So they could, they could neither play nor win. All the competing slave trading nations, religions, and ethnic groups benefited and were advantaged by black slavery. Slavery is most often approached in social and moral terms. It is seldom discussed in terms of the primary incentive that undergirded the slave trade, wealth building. Slavery must always be explained in monetary terms. Throughout the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries, organized religion used doctrines to justify slave trading. During the same period, botanists and others in the biological sciences were studying and attempting to stratify plants and animals based upon their biological similarities and differences. They ordered plants and animals by species. Though it took nearly 300 years, the concept of race eventually merged with the concept of biological species. By the time white Europeans had secured nearly total control of the world's wealth and resource powers, their new concept of race established superiority on the basis of who controlled the wealth, power, and resources at that particular time in history. Wealth, power, and privileges became the prerogatives of non-blacks. Through intellectual sleight of hand, race became synonymous with the term species in the mid-1800s. At that time, Charles Darwin developed the concept of biological race in, this or in his origin of the species, and it quickly became popular. Often called the survival of the fittest, Darwin's theories, as well as a number of other quasi-scientific concepts, were used by educators, politicians, and religious leaders to justify black slavery and establish a qualitative ranking of inherited genes and human fitness. Naturally, those controlling the wealth and power put their cultural values and biological characteristics at the top of the racial order and blacks at the bottom, beneath Caucasians and Mongols, Asians. All the major European religious denominations at the time used the Bible to teach racial ranking with implicit black inferiority, quote unquote. 
During the black civil rights movement of the 1950s and 1960s, the concept of biological races was intentionally expanded to include cultural, religious, ethnic, and all Spanish-speaking language groups, which were competing with black people for rights, space, and privileges. The concept of race was then diluted to an attitudinal level, and the term racism was used interchangeably with such terms as bias, prejudice, bigotry, and discrimination. Now the term racism, quote unquote, has become so amorphous that it has little meaning and is applied to all so-called minorities. If black Americans are to resolve and reverse the legacies of slavery, they must view and treat racism based upon its original meaning and intent. Next session, Racism, a race without a finish line. Racism is a wealth and power-based competitive relationship between blacks and non-blacks. The sole purpose of racism is to support and ensure that the white majority and its ethnic subgroups continue to dominate and use blacks as a means to produce wealth and power. Centuries of black enslavement and Jim Crow semi-slavery resulted in the majority society becoming 99-foot giants and blacks 1-foot midgets. This massive inequality in wealth and resources made blacks non-competitive and totally dependent upon whites for the necessities of life. True racism exists only when one group holds a disproportionate share of wealth and power over another group, then use those resources to marginalize, exploit, exclude, and subordinate the weaker group. In America, it is whites who use wealth and power to marginalize, exploit, and subordinate blacks. Whites can deny blacks employment, educational opportunities, business resources, a place to live, or the right to vote. Therefore, according to this definition, black people cannot be racist. No group of blacks has the power to, or exclusive control of resources to the, de to the degree that they can educationally, politically, economically, and socially exploit and marginalize the white race. Blacks can only react to racism and try to alter the conditions that racism creates. Despite the realities, there are numerous conservative blacks who act as apologists for white racism and confuse the issue. Conservative black radio talk show hosts in Los Angeles, for example, charges that blacks are as racist as whites. 
His desire for white approval as well as his ignorance of history impedes him from understanding that white racism and black prejudice are not the same thing. Blacks have a reason for their feelings about whites based on how they have been treated by whites. The white race, on the other hand, has never been marginalized by the black race. Racism reinforces the legacies of slavery and Jim Crow semi-slavery. Blacks have been unable to escape from these legacies because the majority society acknowledges the operation of racism in the distant past, but minimizes its present significance. Next section, the burdens of inequality. The concept of race has progressed from the international competition of wealth and power to religious doctrine to biological classification to a personal attitude. Yet, conditions and opportunities are unequal between competing minority groups. There has been no equal sharing of burdens in our equal opportunity society. Members of ethnic class, gender, disabled, religious, Spanish language, and sexual orientation groups have not been treated in a manner equal to blacks. This nation has never enacted and supported public policies and laws that have denied non-blacks access to this nation's educational, political, social, and economic systems. These groups have not been customarily lynched, castrated, exploited, and denied the fruits of their labor. Blacks are the only group of people forced to practice capitalism without capital in the richest and most capitalistic nation on earth. These facts, coupled with the majority society's total unwillingness to approve corrective action and reparations for descendants of black slaves, reveal the true nature of racism against black people. Racism and other legacies of slavery predetermine the success of black Americans as a group. One of the most glaring examples of inherited inequalities is wealth distribution. Black Americans, percentage of ownership of the nation's wealth remains where it was in the 1860s on the eve of the Civil War. At that time, when nearly every black person in America was either in full slavery or semi-slavery, blacks owned one half of one percent of this nation's wealth. The emancipation of enslaved blacks is in no sense rendered social justice and economic recompense. Today, more than 140 years later, we are 100% free, yet black Americans still own only one half of 1% of this nation's wealth. Today, the income of blacks as compared to whites has regressed to the level it was at the end of the 1960s. 
approximately 38% of the black population is beneath the poverty line and another one-third is marginal, just above the poverty line. The limited assets that black Americans most often have, such as automobiles and personal effects, depreciate rather than appreciate in value. Blacks even find that their homes, usually our most valuable assets, have a limited market and prices are dictated by urban renewal, expressways, or gentrification. The average black person passes on zero assets to future generations. The typical white family is more economically stable and secure. Approximately 87% of this nation's economic assets are now frozen within the dominant white society and are passed on from one generation to the next in such forms as stocks, bonds, land, businesses, trust accounts, endowments, foundations, and insurance policies. Therefore, white children are privileged to enter the world with 87% of the resources that they need to succeed in life already in their families, race, communities, businesses, schools, governments, or social organizations. Thus, succeeding generations of whites can access these wealth resources over and over again. What is wealth? Wealth refers to the net value of a person, group, or community less their liabilities or debt at a given point in time. It is stored value. Income, in contrast, refers to a flow of dollars over a period of time. With rare exceptions, most blacks are so marginalized that they own and control little wealth or resources anywhere, including their own neighborhoods. The ancestors of enslaved blacks were forced to concentrate simply on surviving, pursuing civil rights, and integration. They had little to bequeath to their descendants. Even though they succeeded in their social and civil rights efforts, their children cannot inherit welfare, food stamps, public housing, or a good job. Next section, three major impediments to black competitiveness. Regardless of how fast and how high black Americans jump without proportional wealth, ownership, and control of resources, it is nearly impossible for blacks to play the game of capitalism and even more difficult for them to win. Why can't blacks win? Let's examine three major impediments to black self-sufficiency and competitiveness. Figure 2 shows that the three major impediments are maldistribution of wealth and resource powers, inappropriate behavior patterns, lack of a national plan for empowerment. Each of these three major impediments is carefully examined and discussed in detail in the next 
few sections of this book. The next section is entitled, The First Impediment, which is Maldistribution of Wealth. The first impediment to black empowerment is the structural wealth inequalities between blacks and whites. To begin our journey to self-empowerment, we must first understand that these inequalities are structural, much like the framing of a house. The frame provides the underlying support for the walls, ceilings, and floors. You cannot see the framing once the walls and flooring have become complete. As long as the house stands, the way in which the house was framed will dictate not only its shape, but also the mobility of the people who live inside the house. The structural racial inequities of wealth and resource powers function in a similar way. There, they are buried in the fabric of American society. They dictate life chances, rewards, and opportunities, and explain how people act in race matters. Whites have had such total control over wealth, power, resources, and basic necessities of life that it has become the norm. Racial myths have long promoted the belief that the conditions of black Americans are the consequence of nature rather than the result of this nation's historical acts. The structural inequities of race can only persist if the historical origin of white control of wealth, resources, and power remain either unknown or ignored. White society will not publicly admit that its powerful self-interest perpetuate the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow semi-slavery. The critical contributions of black people to the, to the development of this nation and the Western civilization are largely hidden. To admit black people's contributions is to trigger white guilt and a sense of responsibility for black people's predicament predicament, excuse me. According to records, the majority society compiled its wealth by using a simple economic principle. The industry of slavery produced a 1,500% return on investment without the burden of wages, employee benefits, and taxes. The lifetime profits produced by slaves were passed on to the slave holders, heirs, and their heirs, heirs. Wealth accumulated from, for white society while poverty accumulated for blacks. Our nation claims to be an equal opportunity, color-blind society after more than a century of mal-distributing the nation's land and wealth-producing resources to everyone but blacks. Even after Jim Crow segregation ended in the 1960s 
and this nation formally became a just society, the white society committed only $15 billion to conduct a war on poverty. Since this program included every group in America, it is unclear how this limited effort was supposed to correct the centuries of abuse inflicted specifically on black people. Social conservatives argue that seven years of the Great Society programs fulfilled all responsibilities that white society had to blacks for 400 years of slavery and Jim Crow semi-slavery. Neither the U.S. government nor social conservatives have offered a public explanation for including gender, ethnic, class, Spanish-speaking, and disabled groups in a program that supposedly paid the nation's debt to blacks. Ironically, during the same seven-year period, this nation spent $120 billion on the war in Vietnam, which was eight times larger than the amount spent on the war on poverty. Hidden behind the facade of a color-blinded society, racism in the 1970s became publicly incorrect. To maintain the status quo, structural racism replaced overt racism and the term minorities replaced blacks. I'm going to stop right here family because we've been reading for almost 30 minutes and we're nowhere near the end of chapter one. So I will say to you thank you so much for joining me in chapter one which is entitled, excuse me, Racism, Monopolies, and Inappropriate Behavior. We are, we will pick up at our monopolized society in chapter one of Powernomics, the National Plan to Empower Black America during our next session. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Stay tuned.